Welcome to Engaging Experts, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with influential attorneys. Our guests will describe their practice and expertise, then we will go deep on various topics related to effectively using expert witnesses. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Engaging Experts. This is Dan Rubin, the National Business Development Manager of Roundtable Group, and also one of the hosts of this podcast series. We have another great guest for you today. Martin Cuniff is a partner in the Washington, D.C. firm of Fields PLLC. For over 30 years, Martin has led high-stakes litigation cases for both large national firms and high-powered litigation boutiques. This includes having served as chair of commercial litigation for Howery LLP, which was at the time the largest litigation firm in the world. He also served as a chair of antitrust for the national law firm of Errant Fox. Additionally, Martin has extensive experience in teaching trial advocacy, including training hundreds of litigators, instructing expert witnesses at the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia, being on the faculty at AICPA training programs for accounting and financial experts, and leading teams that won numerous national awards for training excellence, including the American Society of Training and Development's Best Award. Last but not least, Martin was Roundtable Group's very first client in 2001 and still is one of our most loyal clients 20 years later. Martin, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I can't wait to dive in, but first, let's pause for this brief sponsorship message. This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. So Martin, uh, start by telling our listeners, if you would, how you got into the practice of law. When did you know you were going to be a lawyer? Yeah, no, it actually dates back to the sixth grade. I was trying out, I went to Catholic school. I was trying out for the uh, choir. And uh, I literally, like, I thought the different notes just meant you sung louder or softer. Um, and the our choir director, Mr. Tapp, took me aside and said, Martin, I, I think you might be tone deaf, but you seem kind of smart, so we're sticking you on the debate team. And then I, I was actually on the high school debating circuit as a sixth grader, and so did a full seven years of high school debating, which I loved. And frankly, it's sort of the same stuff I do now. It's, you know, create arguments, find proof rebut the other guy's argument. So I, I guess I'm lucky that I was, uh, I, I didn't grow up in the generation where everybody got a trophy. <laughs> so <laughs> I, got, I got good advice, even though it was harsh advice early on. You were told like it is back then. Yeah. That's, that's great. Uh, so I mentioned, Martin, at the outset that you were at Howery and then you went to Aaron Fox and then of course, React Sherian. Uh, tell us a little bit about your current firm, Fields. Yeah, Fields um, is a unique firm. My partner, Richard Fields, uh, we actually worked together at Howry back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, but the, he went off and um, kind of did you know, very complex environmental insurance settlements, but then also was one of the pioneers in the litigation finance industry. So he started the first publicly traded fund, Juridica, uh, East Place, probably billions of dollars in litigation financing. And then a few years back, um, you know, when there was kind of too much money in that field, 
uh, he thought he'd go back into the, the contingency work. And the, the you know, it's I know it's been sad and a tragedy for everybody, but COVID-19 has worked to my benefit because uh, Richard's wife and his lender said he better get a partner. And so that partner was me. <laughs> so about a year ago, we we teamed up together. And for a, for a two-lawyer firm, we have a unique niche in that, you know, we focus on the litigation funding strategy, settlement, and damages. And we're in some big cases, you know, like we're in opioids for Ohio, Delaware, and a lot of the tribal nations. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in Jewel for the tribal nations. Uh, we're, we're representing Michigan and Illinois in the, in the PFAS cases, you know, which are the biggest environmental cases out there. We're in a bunch of Helms-Burton Act cases. And the reason I love it is, you know, it's all the legal practice that I love, the strategy, the damages, and then none of it that I don't like, like discovery conferences, <laughs> fighting over interrogatories. I mean, you have to do that stuff, but, you know, after a couple decades, you can, you can live without the, uh, the, the more day-to-day -day stuff. Right. You mentioned a couple of your more notable cases there, Martin. Some of the ones that you and I have talked about in meetings and, and offline conversations are fascinating to me. Tell us about that BCS antitrust case that helped force a college football playoff system. Tell us about that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we, um, we represented the Mountain West Conference, I think University of Utah and Boise State, which only antitrust lawyers will understand this, but they were probably the only entities that had antitrust standing to challenge the BCS. So, you know, we initiated negotiations and then started drafting a complaint, you know, which was very interesting. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, we'd have to be going against all the, all the schools in the BCS. And then what happened was, it was very interesting I don't know if you remember, I think his name was Jerry Sandusky mm -hmm. from Penn State. He got involved in that whole child sex problem, which was you know, a tragic situation. But at the time, the president of Penn State, Graham Spanier, was head of something called the BCS Oversight Committee, which was 40 college presidents that sort of ran the thing. It was really run by some other people. But they were officially in charge. Well, I guess Spanier had to step down as president. And we were days away from filing the case. And then two people took over the oversight board. One was from the SEC. One was the ACC. And the first thing they did was call us and say, hold off on the complaint, you know, because we're pro playoff anyway. And so, you know, we, we got into the negotiations, finally worked something out, but it was interesting, you know, Jerry Jones was in it because he wanted the first championship to be in, you know, Jerry World, which right. he got, because he, he got a, a thing that, you know, it, it went to the highest bidder. And Mark Cuban had a syndicate ready to buy the whole thing for like four or $5 billion. So it was fascinating. I mean, six months of my life was just, antitrust, college football, and it's the only case where watching the games on Saturday, the outcomes of the games could help our case or hurt our case. Because <laughs> we wanted the Mountain West to do well, 
but they would still get screwed out of, of you know, the BCS slots. So right. it was fascinating. Being a litigator, you get to see so many different things, but but not many people get to be involved in in a case that actually helps force a college playoff system. So there was another case that I thought was very notable. Um, you were involved in, or several, I suppose, class actions for homeless citizens in D.C.? Yeah. Yeah. So early in my career, our firm, um, in actually one case, uh, Judge Joyce Hens Green asked our firm to represent the, the class of homeless citizens. And, um, you know, I was going all over the city into neighborhoods that a lot of people uh, don't visit. In fact, we had to, I would get in the taxi and go, you know, I need to go to this address. And he says, I'm not going there. And I'm like, well, you're a common carrier. You have to go there. I go, yeah, I don't care. So we finally had a car service that had armed drivers. So I think there's there's still neighborhoods in D.C. where I, I've either been pegged as a drug dealer or or the lawyer for drug dealers. So, um, but you know, it was it was very interesting working with the homeless because a lot of them are fairly well educated, but you know, end up with some mental illness or or sometimes just run out of friends and and family and things like that and and you know end up um, you know, without a lot of options. Uh, but we ended up uh, I was the ended up being one of the leads in the trial very early in my career. So you know as a as a big firm associate, you don't often get into federal court like that. And um, uh, you know we 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 got a very good uh, very good result out of it. There are all kinds of crazy stories um, from that case to be happy to Give you some, but the but the the upshot is I I ended up being the inspiration uh, for a character in a John Grisham novel, The Street Lawyer, because um, Mr. Grisham did his research for the book with the Washington Legal Clinic for the Homeless, who was one of our plaintiffs and kind of the you know the nonprofit who was who was who was kind of our client basically the kind of organized thing. So right. yeah, that was that was and in fact. It's probably why I got into focused on expert witnesses so much because I put four expert witnesses on the stand. Now you know it's a pro bono case, but you know still same still a case of the same professional duties. But then after that, whenever I'd be at meetings, you know trial team meetings, my friends would always go, "Oh, you know Martin's put four experts on in federal court," <laughs> and they're like, "Is that true?" And I'm like. Yeah, yeah, it's true. They're like, okay, well, you handle these experts. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure anybody told them, you know, what the case was, but you know, right. you gotta, you know, you gotta take the opportunities you can get. And I would say, I've always told young associates this: is every pro bono case I did ended up in a very high-paying commercial matter somehow, like through a relationship or somebody I knew. Or somebody I met, so the the law of karma is 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 pretty strong. So I'd encourage any lawyers out there is you know I, I think we all have a professional duty to do pro bono, but to tell you the truth, I, I, it's always paid off for me in the end. In in some other case, it's obvious, Martin, that you're you're as passionate about your social responsibility as an attorney as you are your professional responsibility. Uh, at Roundtable Group, we are always looking to improve our our offerings in the pro bono context. Last month uh, in February, Russ Rosenzweig, our CEO, who's especially passionate about uh, giving back, 
uh, interviewed Greg McConnell, who's the senior pro bono counsel at Winston and Strawn. And uh, it's all about giving back in the pro bono context. I encourage our listeners uh, to listen to that podcast if you haven't already. So it sounds like you became sort of the de facto experts guy in your practice. Can you tell us a little bit more about your use of experts in your career? I, I will insist on giving a plug. I, um, you know, in fact, when, when Russ and, and I forget who was with them approached me originally, I said, this is exactly the service I need because in big law firms, finding the experts usually get sloughed off to like mid-level associates who haven't worked with experts, right? And so they find people who are just, you know, you know, sort of odd and don't fit. And one thing Roundtable has always been good at is a very deep network into academia. And I always have liked to use college professors. I mean, the best experts are teachers, far and away. The problem is those guys are so busy, they're not usually going to return my email. So to the extent Roundtable you know, has worked with them, has a relationship with them, can ping them, uh, you know, and, and know which ones are which, right? Because that's, that's an art and a science in itself. So I, 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 you know, I've used Roundtable extensively. I still will, and, and they've always done a great job for me. Well, thank you so much for that, Martin. We love hearing it and, of course, really appreciate it. And, you know, very quickly, you incidentally, inadvertently, uh, summarized the evolution of Roundtable Group from its inception over 25 years ago uh, as an expert referral service that recruited only the top academic experts to where we are today, which is with a network of thousands of experts in not only academia, but also uh, industry experts in, in the gamut of disciplines, both testifying and consulting. So switching gears a little bit, you've been an expert in many cases in your own right, not only on the other side as an attorney. Uh, tell us about some of those experiences. Sure. I, I, I recently actually uh, sat for deposition a couple weeks ago. I'm appearing as, and again, this is, is also pro bono, but uh, appearing in Northern District of California uh, for an African-American gentleman who was wrongfully incarcerated for 21 years. Uh, and I'm doing the, um, the damages, the economic damages, which is lost earning capacity, hedonic damages, some other ones. Um, the uh, the only eyewitness to his murder was a woman who got a free trip to Disneyland, $1,000, and a ticket out of the housing project she was in mm. as a civic reward for testifying. Mm. So I think any economist would tell you, um, yeah, maybe the incentives aren't, aren't lined up uh, perfectly there. <laughs> but, uh, and I've had to you know, interview him and talk to him. Very good guy. Um, you know, I'm not sure where my head would be like if, if I was wrongfully imprisoned for 21 years. But, you know, he has a, he has a pretty, he's a motivational speaker and a very good guy. So I've, I've, uh, I've been in the hot seat myself, um, you know, as well as, you know, probably, you know, working with hundreds of experts over my career. Sure. Going back to your career as a litigator, I know you have focused or followed what you call a focus on damages approach to litigation. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So I, um, you know, I was a business major 
I was also a stockbroker, you know, before law school. So when I immediately got into practice, I would a lot of times focus on the damages because a lot of lawyers are like, oh, I, I don't like numbers or I went to law school to avoid numbers. Uh, I've always told people like, uh, same. <laughs> yeah, but it's, you know, like if you don't think damages are important, maybe talk to your client every, every now and then. Right. So I just kind of fell into it. I like it because it takes a lot of, to me, it takes a lot of creativity. You know, you're constructing a but for world. So you're constructing a model, you know, that never happened, but you're trying to figure out, you know, what happened essentially in a different universe and how to defend it. And, and then, of course, you know, also blowing up damages models is, is part of the game as well. Right. But, you know, I, I enjoyed it and, you know, ended up writing a, a book on it. And, and I still have colleagues who call me and say, Martin, let me, you know, let me run these damages by you, see if they make any sense. So right. it's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a nice niche and, and one that I enjoy. So outside the courtroom, both as a litigator and an expert, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, a, a couple things. I mean, uh, my, my brother and I have always brewed our own beer, and we, we solely did that so we would have something to answer the question you just asked. Uh, <laughs> it was always in the context of if we ever got on Jeopardy, and, uh, and Alex Trebek, sadly no longer with us, you know, if he were to ask us what we do, we would, we would be ready to say brew our own beer. But, um, you know, I go hiking. I'm, I'm fortunate where I live. Montgomery County, Maryland has lots of parks and trails and everything. Um, my latest thing has been um, listening to courses on masterclass where these, you know, celebrities and masters at something teach a short class. Like right now, I'm listening to Aaron Sorkin's one on screenwriting. And, you know, I'll never be a screenwriter, but I do write complaints. And, you know, a lot of the dramatic, tension he talks about i'm thinking oh that that would be good in a complaint so you know i'm kind of i try to be you know very eclectic because you know in our profession you can get inspiration from really anywhere you know because the law just deals with life so you know anything you pick up you're like i can use that a little bit you know i had never really thought of it that way but now that you mention it complaints do often have this literary quality to them. And, and Hey, uh, if, if you you could be the inspiration for a John Grisham character, why can't Aaron Sorkin be the inspiration for some of your complaints? Martin, thank you so much for this great conversation. I really enjoyed it and really appreciate your time. And thanks again for being a loyal roundtable group client for over 20 years. Great. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to Engaging Experts. Be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss our future episodes. Thank you.